0: Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I love people who love dogs and cats, and I'm here to talk to experts and authors about the animals who share our world. Thanks for listening on Long Island's only NPR station, WLIW-FM 88.3, where Dog Talk originated 13 years ago. You can download podcasts of the 700 previous shows in the podcast library at radiopetlady.com, along with Cat Chat and my other Pet Talk podcast radio programs. Dog Talk is a production of Pet Media Inc., which is solely responsible for its content. This show is brought to you in part with the generous support of Waruva, a family-owned pet food company that makes a vast variety of high-protein recipes for cats and dogs in cans and pouches, using human-grade ingredients and prepared in a human food facility. This show is also made possible by Dr. Elsie's Precious Cat, a privately-owned company founded and run by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian in Colorado, who personally engineered all his specialized litters. Dr. Elsie's is also the founding sponsor of the Cat Film Festival, which is now streaming alongside the Dog Film Festival free on Amazon Prime and Tubi TV. My guests today are Anthony McGowan from England with his book, How to Teach Philosophy to a Dog. Gorman Betchard will be here Talking about his film, Seniors, a documentary. And Morgan Ritz will be here. She's the president of the Cat Connection in Boston and will be talking about their online fundraising event, Whiskers and Whiskey. Oh my God, I thought I'd seen it all in dog books. And then I get a book called How to Teach Philosophy to Your Dog, Exploring the Big Questions in Life. And I thought, oh my God, this is great. I can finally understand philosophy. If a dog can understand it, surely I can. Anthony McGowan wrote this marvelous book, but the only problem is, I think you have to be like really high IQ to begin with to understand it. Anthony, welcome to the show. It's wonderful to talk to you in London. Did, oh do hello, Casey.
1: Delight you, to be here. So far, is,
0: so far, yes. And it's going to only get better. You have a wife. You have children. You're surrounded by people who don't have doctorates in philosophy. Do Do you have a a grasp of how difficult it is for an average human to really understand these big ideas, these big
1: questions in life? Yeah, you know, absolutely. But um, and that's partly why I, I wrote the book. It was um, although you know I studied philosophy quite a long time ago, and it all began with me trying to remember. Uh, what I'd learned all those years ago back in college. And I realized that it, I had little scraps, little, little fragments. And it was only by t- trying to articulate what I knew that I realized how little I knew. And then I had to fill in the gaps, you know, go, go back and research it again. So yeah, I, I do totally understand how, how <laughs> alien and difficult a lot of this stuff is to the normal reader. It is. And, and, that,
0: of, and of course the idea is that you're taking walks through beautiful places in London with Monty, the dog and, and he's playing the part of, I mean, if there's a Socrates and a Plato and you're having these conversations, you and he are having those kind of philosophical conversations. But I thought, okay, I've got this. Okay, Kant. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. Nietzsche. Okay, I got this. And I'm feeling very close to Monty and like his comments along the lines of, huh? What do you mean? <laughs> that was kind of me. <laughs> did, did you try this out on other humans? And well, did they yeah, say, and- oh, thank you for explaining Kant to me or am I just so dense?
1: But the, um, I mean, the origins really were. You know, I said I was trying to get clear in my own head what I knew, and so I, I would go on these walks with Monty and try and articulate it to him, which was probably a little bit odd to passers-by. Um, but I suppose that my, my, I've got a very, very bright daughter who's just about to go off to study physics at university, oh, Lord. and she was, although her, her background, you know, she's her, her that's very bright. Just, she is really brainy. Well, just a kind of science. She's got a, such a wide imagination. She likes to get these other peripheral areas. So I would talk to her about that Kant and Nietzsche and Plato. And and, um, and she's got such a keen brain that she would always find my, my weak spots. So in, in some ways, Monty is a, is a, 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 a combination of the actual Monty dog, my little white fluffy Maltese terrier, and also my very clever daughter, Rosie. Well, that's
0: really interesting because my problem with philosophy happened all of a sudden. I went to university and I'd come from one of those privileged, every child is a snowflake kind of prior educations, not so much like the kind of educations you get in England, which is, I know this is old school, but, you know, sort of cold baths and gruel, and you will (laughs) learn this, and you will remember it, and buck up, and don't complain. (laughs) Whatever the American opposite of that is. So I get to university, and there's a class called Philosophy 101, and I think, well, it's about time. I mean, I never studied Latin. I never studied Greek. I could have, and I really, to this day, believe I should have. I think it makes your brain more expansive. I thought okay, philosophy 101, I got it. So I go to this course which was taught in a large auditorium which I'd never experienced before. So there wasn't a teacher looking you in the eye and saying, "Oh, you clever girl, like I'm sure <laughs> on some level you're brilliant daughter and I'm not brilliant was told." And so I did whatever the first test was and I flunked it. Mm. And I went to the professor, I said, "No, this what what do you mean? I was giving you my personal opinion about these things." You know what? Aha! Uh, fatal uh-huh. mistake. fatal <laughs> mistake. So talk about the fact that philosophy is something almost set in stone. Although, how to teach philosophy to your dog does help us understand how it applies to the modern world and to history and the future. But it is really quite a almost rigid, isn't it? There's a there's there's a, a right and a wrong of it. So if your daughter was debating with you, the the philosophy itself is kind of bedrock, isn't it?
1: yeah well i suppose that there's, i mean it's meant to be an introduction to philosophy and there's various different ways in which you can go about that i mean there's some brilliant introductions which just look at, at topics or problems so you know one of the philosophical issues around say a- abortion or um or or, 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 or capital punishment so you'd you look at the, those issues and then see what different philosophers had said or, or there's the the kind of broad historical type of introduction where you begin at the beginning of philosophy which is with the the pre-socratics the uh, ancient greek thinkers and you just work your way forward and i suppose that, that my book is a kind of combination of, of, of the two so it's broadly based in terms of the different areas of philosophy that, but then looks at w- what the great stories of uh, uh, not stories philosophers have said about those subjects so I, I kind of tried to get everything in there but, but you, you're right that there is I suppose it's like, like any, in inverted commas, science. There's the mm-hmm. stuff you just have to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once you know that stuff, then you can begin to have a proper conversation. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of things to get into your head. And yes. a lot of these are really strange and difficult concepts. Uh, and, you know, I was you know, going through, the I, I reread the book. Actually, I listened to, it's an audio book version of it, which I listened oh, to recently. Oh,
0: really? Who read it? Somebody clever um, with a British accent like yours, I hope. Uh,
1: Oh, do you know, there's there's two different versions. There's a, a UK one, and then there's an American one, and the American one is uh, it's an American reader, so you oh, get a I choice. I say, of, I always
0: do my audiobooks in British accent. It makes uh, me really? feel smarter.
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, you're a snob. Oh, yes. Terrible. <laughs> Terrible snob. But some, really, I, I, I love audiobooks. Anyway, that's a side issue. But, so, but I I, I had not quite realized just how difficult and challenging the book is. It you is. Know, I, I I tried to, to sugar the pill with all the kind of jokes. <laughs> Me and Monty kind of stuff so there is meant to be a it's meant to be fun in that way there's, yes. there's a lot of humor, I hope with, with between me and the dog uh, they are
0: funny the, they're delightful
1: but, I, but thank you but also there's an overarching narrative about because as you read the book you as well as kind of hopefully absorbing some of the information you realize that not all is quite well with Monty's is, is, is a bit poorly and there's meant mm-hmm. to be a kind of narrative arc. there and at the end mm-hmm. there's a a possibility of a very sad ending which which uh, spoiler alert i don't go down but um so yes it, it's it's more difficult than i thought it was it's it's genuinely hard and challenging and i'm, I'm hoping that that people do stick with it but i would totally understand if if um if a normal reader skipped the odd chapter on on kant or um, i think there's yeah there's, uh, there's a couple of very difficult chapters about kant
0: there are and kant is very difficult and you know oh. i can't do kant so to speak well i mean i could <laughs> and i should here's what i think and that's why i was a little apprehensive to to lead with telling you how stupid i felt previously oh, no. <laughs> in my life about philosophy and how this book made me feel like, oh, I got to exercise those brain muscles. And I really recommend it, especially to those of you who may not have a dog. There are people who listen to the show who don't have dogs or cats. Oh, yes. (laughs) And they just – I know it's amazing that there are people that make that choice, but there are. (laughs) And and yet the authors that I speak to, usually it's the authors who – have scintillating other things to bring to the party. And I, <laughs> I love you saying I tried to sugar the pill because it does feel like medicine in the sense that mm. learning something that's difficult feels difficult, but that's a good thing. We're all so slick and glib and superficial, and I got it, I got it, as opposed to asking our brains to do something that many of us even didn't do all that assiduously when we had higher education, we still mm. kind of took the easy road
2: oh a, sure a, a yeah.
0: friend of mine and a very dear friend in new york their their son went to oxford i guess it's called to read philosophy rather than study yep. it or get a degree <laughs> in it
1: That's what and, they
0: say. and his godmother who's a, a a brilliant retired aclu lawyer and very very smart struggled and suffered through his thesis and had long phone conversations with him about it she was so inspired at his Mental rigorousness. We don't do that enough. In America, I don't think we do it hardly at all. I, I do think it's part of British higher education and holding even school children to a standard where they're articulate and they speak, they speak clearly and well and they speak ideas. Not just know, Tracy,
1: I think you're honestly being a bit harsh on the American system there. I think that, uh, as far as I understand it, the, the kind of American college education is slightly broader and wider than, than the UK one. You, you, That's we we specialise very, very early, even before university, you are you, right. streamed to, into certain areas, so you're a science person or you're an arts person. Um, so I think that, that 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 broadness is quite good in in, in the States, and then, then you tend to get the ultra specialisation then at that post, at the, the doctoral kind of right. level, the post-graduate kind of level. So, you know, I think you're a little bit harsh there. Well, I'm That's
0: harsh on myself. I don't mean that there aren't <laughs> lots of people who go to school and spend every hour in the library poring over things if there are oh, still libraries. Them. For all I know, they do everything on the internet. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. do, do we still need libraries? I'm not even clear about that. But I, I do think that this book, for people who are out of school and have maybe have been out of school a long time, it's a great reminder of the pleasure and joy of asking your mind to pay attention, to be crystal clear and crisp. And if you get to a part that's difficult, take a break. I mean that's mm. what I had to do. Oh, good I advice, would think, yeah. Oh, I can't do can't. And I thought, <laughs> well, but I should. It's great to be able to learn something new or re in your case, you re re-taught yourself. The, the, yeah. The, and it's it's not in any way fussy or highbrow which i think is clear from our conversation but well the, they're all it's all each chapter is a walk so they are actual walks with monty in different beautiful parts of of london parks and and avenues so the third walk is called dare to know kant and the utilitarians so dare to know you know it's almost like you're daring us to understand these things and then have a conversation about them or listen to one between you and Monty. You you kind of have to understand what you, the reader, have to understand what you're talking about while listening, but you are teaching us while talking. It's really a. Gr- it's, it feels Socrates, and that sounds so, <laughs> so silly of me to say. But you sort no, of feel like, what sure. was it? Was it like this in Greece? Did people sit around in in stone amphitheaters and listen to these dialogues of these very brilliant people and try their very best to keep up? That's what it feels like,
1: trying <laughs> yeah. to keep up. Well, you know, it is genuinely astonishing when, when you read about the, the kind of history of ancient Athens. So, almost every interesting idea that, that humanity has had, had been had in the, like this hundred year period of the, yes. the high point of Athenian democracy. And it does seem to be that there was this brilliant free exchange of ideas. I mean, you know, there are quite rightly criticisms of ancient Athenian, in inverted commas, democracy because it was based on a, it's a slave culture. Right. Women, on the whole, w- right. were, were hugely repressed. It's you know, hard for women to even leave the house if you're a uh, you know, uh, the, right. of the middle class. So, but but among those those three men, <laughs> um, then the, there was this fantastic exchange of ideas, and just it was this furnace, this incredible engine room generating ideas. We, we, and the whole, it's been said that the history of, of Western philosophy is a set of footnotes to Plato. and wow. that's kind kind of true. That's pretty cool. You know, he, cool. He, you know I actually, mean, but although in the book, Plato's one of the villains. That I, uh, although he was brilliant at raising questions, all his answers are wrong. I think. <laughs>
0: Uh, <laughs> and that makes so, it so fun to read it's like oh my god i have to get smart enough to understand how clever tony mcgowan is to say that, that was wrong but i gotta no, get smart no. first
1: no, it's, it's not me versus plato it's other later philosophers much better than me yeah. versus plato um but so but also i think that the, the the great step comes when um you go beyond that just trying to understand the ideas to challenging them yes because um you, you know i think it's as a human being uh, uh, you know, th- th- I think our our, our central um, obligation, almost a moral obligation, is to challenge accepted ideas, to 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 poke them and prod them, and ex- and and try and analyze them and expose bad reasoning or, or or where an argument's not based on proper evidence or where the logic's faulty. Um, I, I don't want to get into American politics at the at the moment, but um, or British you know, I, ones. I,
0: I, I mean, or British I, ones, or, or, or right? Indeed,
1: indeed abs absolutely. But I think perhaps with with both of our our leaders at the moment, um, if you try to logically analyse, their, their, you'd their go speeches, mad.
0: You'd go, you'd go absolutely go, <laughs> mad. In fact, you get to walk ten. I'm looking at at the table of contents and walk 10, the third walk, having been dared to know, Kant and the utilitarians. And of course you think, okay, utilitarians, shouldn't I already know what that is? And then walk 10 is Kant and fuzzy logic.
1: Uh, yes.
0: So, I mean, as much as this is, you know, truly an immersion in these great ideas and then arguments to the great ideas and footnotes to that – there's a walk called Metaphysics 101, the white stuff in bird poo. So there's always something that you go, okay, I, I think I, I'll read that because I'm curious about that white stuff. Not really, but it lightens it up a little. It really does sugar the pill. And, and when you talk so. about Monty being you know, on a decline, the, the second to last chapter is called The Last Walk, Schopenhauer's mm-hmm. Bubble and the Meaning of Life, and then... The next, the last, the actual last chapter is, okay, that wasn't really the last walk.
1: This is. Are oh, you giving the ending away now, Tracy?
0: No, no, it's it's that there's such a, a a cheerfulness in the way you write about these very thorny, prickly, hard-edged things that it makes it, I don't know, I think we should all make better use of our walk with our dogs.
1: <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's good advice. Right? But I think that, that penultimate chapter, though, it's about the meaning of life. Uh, and I really hope that I think it's it's probably the best chapter in the book, and I really hope that people manage to struggle through those difficult middle chapters, or just skip them. But, but <laughs> I hope people do read that that, that penultimate <laughs> chapter because it's a good one. It's, it's um, a
0: great one. So uh, look, we just got the professor's permission to, <laughs> to to cheat and go to the end of the book. My sister does crossword puzzles with the answers turned upside down beside her. She wants to do it only to a certain point, and then she's going to cheat. I Uh, mean, you're an author already of other books and a a lecturer, and you've written books for children and young adults and won many awards, says the Flyleaf, including uh. (laughs) The Art of Failing, a hilarious account of your life as a writer, which was named a London Observer Book of the Year. So what about... Just with a minute or so left, what about the art of failing? I mean, do we as readers, how do we not feel we're failing you in reading? Oh, how to teach philosophy <laughs> to your dog? If there's uh, an art to it, how do we do it artfully?
1: Oh well, well the, the art of failing is—it's a kind of a journal of of, of of a year, and you know, I'm one of those people who's completely incompetent in in in, in all the ordinary ways of getting through life. Um, so it's about those everyday. F- small scale failures got it. hopefully kind of humorously expressed but I, I, don't, I think as a reader you can't fail you know I, I, every writer is first of all a reader and you know re- reading's got to be a pleasurable experience as well as a mind expanding one so I, I would I would never be critical of a reader you know, you know even if, if someone picks up the book and just doesn't get on with it that's that's fine there is a universe of wonderful books out there but <laughs> um, we don't want
0: to say it that way we want to say that this <laughs> is quite unusual it really is a genre of its own it is about a dog it's about a man in a relationship with a dog because you and Monty have quite a bit of back and forth and and you write about Monty's experience of these walks you know as an ethologist you watch him and you and you observe him and he's always off doing some dog thing or you know finding a pizza crust it's very real at the same time that it's so cerebral.
1: Yeah, no, I'm guessing that that most of your your listeners are are kind of pet obsessive. Oh, dog rather,
0: pe- yes, I'd say that's true.
1: Uh, whereas I I never was. You know, I was a classic case of um, we got the dog because my daughter pestered us. Right, I wasn't brought up with dogs. I wasn't particularly a dog person, and had no strong views. But obviously, you know, she was a little girl, she promised that she'd look after Monty and feed him and walk him. Of course, she didn't. <laughs> I did. And so then, that <laughs> almost against my my better judgment, that the bond formed between us. And so, so I was always slightly—I wasn't one of those totally dog people. But so I I learned how to love my dog through through having he it. He taught it you. He taught you. Fascinating, and you know, we we have a, 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 a an intimate but kind of at times grumpy relationship, me and Monty.
0: It's adorable. It's adorable. It comes through in the book. The book really is special. For those of you who have prepadation like I did about approaching philosophy, if not now, when and if not this way, then how? How to teach Uh. philosophy to your dog, exploring the big questions in life. Anthony McGowan, it's been an absolute pleasure to read your book and to be inside your mind and to talk to you. Thank you for being
1: here. My pleasure. It was a joy chatting to you. Thank you.
0: This show is brought to you in part by Merrick Pet Food, which has been making natural pet food for 30 years without preservatives, fillers, or anything artificial. USDA-certified meats and fish are always the first ingredient in kibble that is grain-free or crafted with healthy grains. The show is also supported by Daily Dose, a daily dental chew with an outer layer that cleans dogs' teeth by breaking down biofilm and bacteria on teeth and gums. The core of each chew contains clinically proven supplements to help manage either a dog's joints, heart, skin, or anxiety. This show is sponsored in part by Canine Active, a natural mobility supplement for competitive canine athletes that can also help senior dogs move comfortably again. Clinical trials of Canine Active show improvement in older dogs' mobility within a week and can be safely used alongside other supplements and medications. Well, I have a treat for myself and for you to tell you about a documentary called Seniors, a dogumentary made by a veteran feature length documentarian, Gorman Bouchard, who also runs the New Haven Documentary Film Festival in its seventh year. This man knows documentaries. He knows how to give you visuals and information and tug at your heartstrings, which this film really does. Gorman, congratulations on such a beautiful job of celebrating the oldsters, the four-legged oldsters amongst us.
2: Well, thank you. Uh, Thank you very much for having me on your show and, and for liking the film.
0: Very much. And of course, how could I not like it when you have your own star dog Springsteen in the movie who you got as a teeny baby, which kind of belies the the advice, if you will, of the film from the people that run Old Dog Sanctuary and other sanctuaries, which is don't just get a puppy, get an old dog. They have so much to offer and it's so rewarding. Did did you ever stop and think, oh, boy, I now when 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 Springsteen goes over the Rainbow Bridge, I had better get an old dog or I'll be in trouble
2: i that's what that's probably what our plan is i mean we got springsteen we uh springsteen also came from down south in fact springsteen came from tennessee um oh i know you and, didn't and get him had, in a
0: pet store i mean you said you drove yeah, in no. a blizzard to get him
2: <laughs> yes yes uh they the the, the the um transport came up from uh tennessee and i remember we, we yeah it took us about two hours to go what uh, should have been 20 minutes to meet the transport but uh uh, he was definitely, and, and the funny thing was, when we took him, we were taking the one dog that didn't want to be, that no one wanted to adopt because he was such a troublemaker. Uh, Springsteen was known as being the, the, the the just the monster of the litter. <laughs> and so I was immediately drawn to that for some reason. Uh, and he did not let us down in any way, shape, or form. I'm telling you that that dog was a complete monster. We, I, we always crank train. As, as, as I think anyone should, especially when you have a younger dog. Yes. Normally our dogs are out of the crate within five months, give or take. Springsteen was in that crate for over two years.
0: Whoa. My dogs are in there for like five weeks, even from puppyhood. I guess I have some magic touch or I'm, I'm more disciplined about taking them out a lot once they're out of the crate two years. Or
2: or you don't, you don't get the monster is what it is. Right. Right. (laughs) I somehow
0: have managed to, to circumvent the monsters What I love about the film is that you have a few central characters, human characters and the dog or dogs around them, and you weave them in and out. And you dedicated the film to to John Pilly, who who taught the dog Chaser, the very, very famous Border Collie, to recognize whatever the number was, a thousand objects and do a hundred tricks over a thousand. And then you intersperse him with Jane Klonsky, who's been on the show and whose daughter's film was in one of the early dog film festivals. Was was somehow her book, her book of photographs with, with short biographies, did that inspire mm-hmm. your film? Or was it vice uh, well, versa? The,
2: the film actually started out with, uh, after we made A Dog Named Gucci, my last animal rights film, one of the things I kept running up against was people telling me, I really want to watch your film, but I can't. And I'd be like, well, why not? And they were always afraid to see horrible graphic images, despite the fact that I would try to tell them, well, there are none in the film. It's, right. it's, I, I specifically try to stay away from that. Didn't make any difference. That was the subject of the film. And so I remember talking with my wife, who co-produces the animal films with me, that the next animal rights film had to be the happy animal rights film and she can I just that interrupt
0: for, interrupt you for one yeah. second because there's an I think an important um use of language that I'm I'm a stickler about myself and since you don't make animal rights films you make films about animal welfare or humane yes. treatment of dogs I would urge you if you don't mind because animal rights indicates extremism extreme groups who some of them don't even think dogs should be pets at all I just think rights is a problem Whereas welfare, gotcha, or gotcha. just for your own sake, because this is the this is the water I swim in, and I sometimes enjoy to have animal rights people on, but for the most mm-hmm. part, I really think animal welfare and humane treatment, I, of,
2: I, right? A lot of times, I, I yes, I agree with you, and I've I, I've, I've heard that before, and I think right now it was just like you know going on a uh, just going on a a quick story, and and the wrong word popped into my head, but yeah, I do agree. And you're right. It is about animal welfare. Um, you know, I'm not doing these films to like try to get animals voting rights and stuff. So sometimes you think they might do better than we would. But <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, that wouldn't be hard.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, but so so in making in making seniors, I wanted to make the happy animal film. Yes, it is. too. And um, and at first, my wife didn't really think like, well, don't call it that. I said, no, I have to call it that because. And and she finally came on the road with me for a few screenings and she saw the reaction and she understood. And so that's sort of where that came out of. And then I learned about chaser and I contacted Dr. Pilly through his daughter and uh arranged to go down there for a long weekend. I sent them Gucci. She, he absolutely loved the dog named Gucci. And that was, I believe why at that point in his life, because he wasn't doing many interviews uh, anymore, but why he agreed to, allow me to come down and interview him because of the treatment we gave gucci um and so i had this footage shot and i actually sat on it for about a year because i wasn't really sure what is oh the, how so interesting it yeah and then i started realizing that like i started seeing all this stuff about senior dogs and i realized well chaser and dr pilly are both seniors Nice. So maybe nice. there's a, there's a, a, a through line here. Mm-hmm. And uh, my wife found me the senior dog, uh, uh old friend, senior dog sanctuary. And right that right outside of Nashville. They were just about to move. It all worked out. We went down there, shot their move, you know, t- spent a lot of time with them, but then I'm like, what connects all of these pieces together? And that's where Jane came in. So Jane actually came in, she was sort of at the end, uh, but I, what really needed her is the thread that would connect everything. If you I notice see. she shoots every single Absolutely. story. That's in the, you know. She
0: does. And she's a fellow Vermonter and did an amazing job with the book and passionate job yeah. and then inspired her daughter to make a documentary film based on a number of the people in the book. I, I think what... I love about your film is that it isn't trying to bang you over the head about anything other than no. to show you this great appreciation and love of older dogs. I especially like the young couple. I don't know what gen they are. I don't know gen X, Z, Y, Q. They were young mm-hmm. and he had a very old Yorkie who had been his mother's and his when he was even right. younger and the, the girl, his girlfriend or wife, she had a aging golden retriever And they talked like they were two old sages. These dogs are the joys of our life. It was so sweet. They were, like, barely old enough to, you know, have that long view. It was great. And then, of course, you have a senior citizen home. Wonderful story about Izzy. And how did you come upon that story? This
2: That was all. My wife finds me all the animal stories. She's great. I, I give her credit on everything. And. Uh, that was a, that was an amazing story where you have a man refuses to go into a senior citizen's home unless he can take his dog. He brings his dog. He ends up dying shortly thereafter, and the home adopts the dog because everyone so loved him.
0: And the dog is old. Izzy's an sir yep. herself. Yep. It's, it's wonderful because it also lobbies, if you will. For the importance, the value, the quality of life for people living in assisted living in whatever way, veterans, homes, you name it, to have dogs there. I I mean, there have been studies by the Human Animal Bond Research Institute and stuff about the value for seniors to have this connection to an animal. But how great to see it in action and to see this one place that came up with the money when the dog needed foot surgery. Mm -hmm. And they got the money from all over the country in a day just by putting it on a GoFundMe page. People really have a great deal of admiration and respect for old dogs, yet it doesn't, which is one of the themes of the film, but it doesn't seem to always prove out in real life with the shelters that get them and have to put them to sleep.
2: I, I think because oh, I hate saying this, but old dogs don't show well. Correct. And I hate that phrase, but yeah, you're in right. a shelter, usually you know, they've been in a home all their life and now they're stuck in this cage. They don't understand what's going on. And they're, they usually are just hiding in a corner, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I always say to people, it's like, take the old dog out for a walk and you will be shocked. It's like all of a sudden he or she will come to life and, you know, you'll find the friend that you're looking for. The puppy, as you as we said at the beginning of this, the puppy will always get a home.
0: Sure. No problem. Uh,
2: You know, so, uh, it, you know, so it, it it is definitely the older dog. And that that was why, you know, I so ended up like cutting the film as I did and telling the stories to really try to show emphasis. And notice, you know, as we're talking now about the old dog in a cage, you never once in this film even see a dog in a cage.
0: No, they're all, it's all free and open. Like Muttville is like that. That's my goal. Yeah, Muttville is run like, Muttville in San Francisco, Sherry Franklin's Mm -hmm. um, sanctuary, but really it's for, for, she wants to adopt the dogs out. That's the ultimate goal. They're all loose and free. I, I talked to a wonderful woman, Doreen Jackaback, with Marty's Place Senior Dog san- Sanctuary in Monmouth, New Jersey. She built a state-of-the-art facility way nicer than your house or mine, including an indoor heated mm-hmm. pool for these senior dogs. Oh, but my there, God. I know. It's yes, it's amazing. And they all live open and free, and their staff plus volunteers plus, you know, donations. It's quite something. I'm, just the old place in Tennessee, which is marvelous, and the couple who run it are – they're so brilliant. How they took this old building and how they've reimagined it, and the vet that they mm-hmm. hired, who sold her practice in Connecticut, which is where you live, to go move to Tennessee right. because she wanted to do something that mattered in her life. That was pretty cool, right?
2: I, I, I mean, all of it is just. I mean, the dedication. Because you, you look at Zena and and Michael. I mean, these are two very brilliant people. I believe they're both ex architects. Um. And I mean, the Zina, what Zena does on Facebook and how she raises money for this place is truly amazing. I mean, anyone who's ever tried to sell stuff on Facebook knows how difficult it can be. Oh, yeah. Uh, she has just got it down to a science. You know, and they just their dedication to the dogs is just beautiful, and I I love the moment when Michael cries. He was so embarrassed by that when at the premiere, and uh, but I was like, I said, "Oh, come on, Michael! It's like it's like you know, everyone, every woman loves a man that can cry, you know." And so, so does I,
0: every documentary filmmaker. Wow, I got tears oh, after, on camera. All right, yeah, which is <laughs> but that that really <laughs> works true. too. I I guess really, it's a wonderful tribute to these dogs and to the people who keep them their whole lives, but also to people who take them near the end of their lives and Mm -hmm. get that huge jolt of I'm St. Francis. This feels great. And oh my God, this dog is not living three weeks or three months. It's three years later. This dog is the ever ready bunny. There's a, there's a wonderful moment in the film that was clearly unintended and not really specifically about, senior dogs, but Jane Klonsky, who we see throughout the film, shooting the dogs up in their face with her big fancy camera. At one point, she's lying on her back with her head raised as if she was doing a sit-up. And one of these older golden Retrievers at the sanctuary comes over and noses her and nuzzles her. And the next thing you know, the Retriever's doing what many of us with large dogs have had our dogs do is lying down and kind of reverse spooning with her. She's lying and the dog is so happy that this human that she doesn't even know is lying on the ground that she lies against her. And I thought, wow, that is a great advertisement for senior dogs. They really know. It, that's how. one of my
2: favorite moments. Isn't it great? It yeah. really is. Yes. Me
0: too. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. You, you captured so many moments that, well, that's what a great documentary does. It's the unintentional moments. It's the ones that you don't zoom in on a close up. You just let the, mm-hmm. the the viewer let it wash over them and sink into them, and change them. I think your film does that.
2: Thank you, thank you. I mean, we uh, we spent a lot of time with it uh, down at Old Friends, and you know, I I always bring, uh, I always try to bring. Cinematographers that are n- honestly new that don't, so I don't have to unteach them. Nice, what they learned in film school. Nice, because uh, a lot of times that that's uh, uh, kids who went to film school usually are some of the worst people to, to work with. They're full of fancy moves, everything.
0: and also are they taught yeah, to oh, do yeah, fancy you know. stuff like Brian De Palma go round and round in a three sixty yeah. kind of thing? You
2: know, it's like they know everything, and and you can't like. And so what I try to do is bring people who are just like just getting into it. And what I'll always tell them, especially with this film, it was always like, don't worry about what the people are saying. I'll take care of shooting the people with the interviews. All I right. want you to do is follow dogs around and shoot dogs. As we did with Chaser, where you saw my cinematographer, Sarah, Yes, who Chaser is, and I said, don't ever shoot Dr. Pilly. I will I got that covered. You take, you just hang with Chaser. And, you know, and Chaser was hysterical because Chaser, like all of a sudden had a new friend sitting on the floor with this weird big toy in front yeah. of him. You know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: And he wanted to know the name of it, Being Chaser. Chasers. Like, yeah. okay, what are you going to call that? And I'll see if I can fetch it. Well, Gorman, you've there is, done. There is
2: a great, so, I got a gr- quick, great chaser story, not in the film. Very the quick, because we're, there, we're I, very
0: short yeah. on time.
2: I brought him a toy and, that he had never seen before. He said, give it, a, Dr. Billy said, give it a name. I called it Springsteen. I pointed at it, said, Chaser, this is Springsteen, threw it on the ground. Three days later, I see it upstairs and I'm packing up. I, say, I see Chaser downstairs. I said, Chaser. Fine, Springsteen. Oh my God. He runs around, nothing, goes upstairs, comes oh right back down God. with that toy in his mouth. Three,
3: oh I can't God. remember someone's
2: names. It. Ten minutes later, wow. three days, he hears it once. Wow.
0: That that yeah. takes my breath away. Unfortunately, we have to stop talking because our time is up, but that's <laughs> amazing. Of course, you weren't shooting that, but that's a great story. Gorman Bichard, beautiful job. Seniors, a documentary. People can stream it On Amazon Prime, you can buy the DVD, support Gorman's work. He's the real deal, and he loves dogs as much as we all do. Thanks for being here, Gorman.
2: Thank you so much, Tracy.
0: This show is partly brought to you by Evermore Pet Food, a privately owned company that makes freshly cooked dog food from organic vegetables and humanely raised meats that are human edible. Frozen pouches shipped directly to your home to be served as a complete meal or as part of a pet's diet. This show is also supported by Earth Animal, privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, who have combined science and nature in animal wellness products. Earth Animal Zen Pens deliver precisely dosed CBD gel made from full-spectrum hemp oil to rub inside a dog or cat's ear. For those of you at home with your kitties or at home wishing you had a kitty, Whiskers and Whiskey is a really cool online virtual benefit for the cat connection in the Boston area. An extraordinary, wonderful cat rescue that is about to have, it's open for the first time in 20 years, a shelter. Until now, they've been in all foster families and feral cat colony uh, guardianship and adoption. And now they're going to have a shelter. And Whiskers and Whiskey is a really cool online auction that everybody can participate on in November 21st from 7 to 10 30, but it's an online silent auction that starts on November 14th. Morgan Ritz, the director, the president of this extraordinary Cat Connection, is here to tell us about whiskers and whiskey. And I just want to take my hat off to you, Morgan, for so many years of looking after the kitties in the Boston area, finding the ones who want to live indoors a nice home, and looking after feral cat colonies, all with a a big network of tremendous foster families and volunteers. Good for you.
3: Thank you so much, Tracy. Um, it's really it's a really exciting time for us. Opening the shelter is uh, is just really thrilling because we're going to be able to help many, many more cats than we ever have before, and our first online, Whiskers and Whiskey, is coming up, which is also going to be amazing because we can reach a much larger audience than we've been able to. It's odd, isn't it,
0: that COVID for some people is truly a silver lining because there you were having Whiskers and Whiskey for a number of years, a really wonderful silent auction benefit and all the people in the area who were your volunteers and their friends and their family and all your adopters and fosters would come But because of it being virtual and online, you can reach people anywhere and you have fantastic things in the auction. You even have a VIP room. What is a VIP room virtually?
3: A VIP room is a special space for people who buy a VIP ticket. And we have some really special things in there. We have Asaf Wiseman, who is a pianist for the Israeli Chamber Project. Wow, we have are going to have some exciting cat-based surprises. People talking, celebrities talking about cats,
0: like Hannah Um, Shaw, the kitten lady, who's pretty famous
3: in the cat world. She's about as
0: famous as you get.
3: That's true. That is very true. And we also have many, many, uh, experiences for people outside of the VIP room. Really? Really? Such, yes, we have an Irish whiskey tour with John Byrne from Galway, Ireland. So you can learn everything you ever wanted to about Irish whiskey. And this is part of
0: the VIP tour or the regular no, this
3: is part of the regular, just anyone can wow. sign up for these things. We have an FX demonstration with a four time Emmy winning Hollywood FX Pro. Wow. We have guided yoga sessions. <laughs> we have so uh, cool. lots of activities for kids. Nice. including a cat chat, another cat chat.
0: Not, not with, my cat chat, which not uh, your cat people chat. are hearing you on right now. But, um, right, right. I'll not be, be darned. Confused. That's so cool.
3: Yes, we think it's going to be really, really fun.
0: And how much does it cost people to go to the virtual benefit?
3: It is $30 a ticket, and that gets you – Entry into the whole event For the two and a half hours You can sign up for whatever Experiences you would like You also can participate In the trivia games And in the raffles And of course The silent auction Which has many, many amazing Items in there Some for people, some for cats Nice. Some about cats And um, There's just So many opportunities to have fun and also to help save cats' lives in this event.
0: Well, when you have have just now opened this standalone shelter, how many dollars did it take? I mean, also, you had to find the place and then turn it into a cat-friendly space and also a people-friendly space. How many dollars did you have to raise? I mean, it's, it's obviously no secret you did this all with fundraising.
3: Uh, yes, we definitely did, and actually, this is the culmination of 20 years of uh, trying to open a shelter for us. Wow. We have been looking for the right space. We got close a couple times, but it never seemed to work out, and then we found out about this particular space, and it seemed to be the perfect opportunity, and uh, all together, I, it's gonna. It's definitely going to cost a lot of money, um, and that means that we have to really work hard on our fundraising so that we can afford to be able to save so many cats. And Whiskers and Whiskey is definitely part of that. And
0: and you have one paid person, the shelter director. So you not only have to have created this shelter and found the place and turned it into a cat shelter, but have the money to pay that shelter director and the utilities and the cat food and the litter. I mean, before when you had foster families as the only way to take in your kitties, did you provide them with all that or did the foster families themselves step up and pay for it?
3: For uh, the food and the supplies? yeah. Uh, Yes. Well, we ask our fosters if they can to buy food and litter, but if they are unable to, we will definitely help out.
0: So it's it's a big responsibility either way. I mean, you've taken in these cats, and until they get a really great forever adopted home, you view them as your responsibility. Now they're going to be in a physical building where people can come visit them. Do you consider it kind of a benefit to be opening during the pandemic so that there is a slower flow of people and and lets you all get more used to this? Because you have the shelter director, but I'm sure you have to have volunteers there and organizing them can't be easy, COVID or no COVID.
3: No, no, it's definitely not going to be easy, but we feel that we are going to be on top of it. But I think you're right that. It doesn't necessarily hurt to have this period of things being a little slower so that we can make sure that we're fully functioning up to speed by the time things go back to normal again, if that ever happens.
0: Right. If that ever happens, we're all (laughs) so confused about what the future holds. But people still want cats in their life and they still want kittens in their life. And the unspayed and neutered cats that are out there, the feral ones, they don't care or know anything about it. They just keep reproducing and creating more of a challenge for groups like yours. I, I know that, that you have Rachel Geller, who's been on the show a couple of times and she's such a wonderful cat behaviorist and, and does so much work as a volunteer with your organization to help people taking in a cat or a kitten to make sure that it's a good fit and that they know how to give that cat an enriched life and a safe life and a comfortable life, it's, it's got to be really daunting. Now you have a physical place where they're going to come. Are you going to try to clone Rachel?
3: (laughs) We (laughs) would love to be able to clone Rachel, um, but we really, we really are so grateful that she is with us because it helps so much to have that service to offer as a behaviorist, to offer people. We do a lot of community support we will pretty much do anything we can to help people keep their cats. Yes. And one problem that a lot of people encounter is behavioral issues. So having her be able to step in and help with that is amazing. We also do, we help with financial issues. We get grants for low-cost Bay and neutering nice we have a pet food pantry program wow to help with food and litter yeah we are really all about keeping cats in their homes that's really fabulous and it's essential it's
0: essential whether there's a pandemic on or not but the extra pressure on people financially and just emotionally is so huge but the value, the emotional value that a cat gives them is so huge that it doesn't just save the cat's life. It does a great deal to enhance the human's life. So keeping people and cats together is really important. It does look yes. like the Cat Film Festival, the, the new one, the third annual that would have been at the Regent Theatre in, in real time with an, a live audience is going to probably be there virtually, so the Cat Connection will be our partner and be a beneficiary of the tickets that are sold. And I'm hoping that after you've done Whiskers and Whiskey, you'll have a big fat list of people that it, that were there for that benefit who can also watch the film, virt- the f- festival films virtually. They don't have to be in the Boston area, but they will help support. Independent theaters like the Regent, and specifically you, the Cat Connection, so that's kind of an amazing silver lining of COVID. That a group you love, a, a a rescue group, a shelter group, and a theater that we hope can survive this because they have not been able to open their doors all this time, can be can benefit from the marvel of technology. I still think it's great when people can come together in real time and experience the things in the theater. That was always my kind of mantra, but of course, it's kind of ridiculous now to even think of that, right?
3: Right. Yes. And we really, really appreciate the opportunity to be in the festival. You're right. It is such an amazing thing to be able to help the cats, help the theater, and give great entertainment to a lot of people who I'm sure will be enjoying the festival.
0: I think they will. And, and there's also, I mean, I don't know if you guys know this, but you guys in the Boston area, you guys, the Cat Connection people, because you're a, a large, a large extended family that on Amazon and Tubi TV, people can see encore presentations of the previous festivals for free on Amazon Prime oh. and Tubi TV. So that's pretty cool. I mean, I of course, I p- want people to see the new one with all the new films and particularly support the theaters and the cat connection. But it's just nice to, to be able, in a time when people are kind of starved for connection and starved for f- things that make them feel good, you know that cats make them feel good, right? I mean, I'm sure you're finding that. Do you find more demand for cats and kittens than before, or is it hard to tell?
3: We definitely have found, as have other shelters and rescues, more demand for cats I believe that the pandemic has really shown people who are now a lot working from home that cats, pets in general, are an incredible source of comfort and companionship, and now that they're home a lot, they see that space where a pet could be, and they decide to adopt or even foster a cat, so that's sort of another silver lining of the pandemic. It is. And
0: fostering is actually a great way for people to get their feet wet, if you will. A, they may not, maybe they're older. I mean, I know a lot of people were quite a bit older in their 80s that would love a cat. But they're nervous about, well, what if I die before the cat? Because a well-looked-after cat can live to 20 and plus if you never give them dry food. Yes, I always want to say no kitty crack, wet food only. Um, right. And if you you know make sure that they're not out and about of getting run over by cars, they have a very, very long life. So by fostering those people or people that may think they're going to go back to an office and are fearful of maybe disappointing a cat who's been with them all day, fostering is kind of a wonderful way to discover if that individual cat is a good fit for you or if you are a good fit as a cat owner. Maybe you had them as a child or a, a, a youth, and now you're 40, 50, 60, 70, and above, and you think, I don't know, did, do I really want to live with a cat? And, of course, after two minutes or two days, you're like, yeah, I do. But fostering's <laughs> great that way. Do you find people using it as a kind of a stepping stone to ownership?
3: Yes, it definitely can be, and we, we really like to promote that idea because I I don't know that everyone knows that fostering exists as an option, but it is a really great way to have a cat and the companionship that it offers, but with less commitment. Yes. You, you don't have to pay for any of the vetting. We take care of that. As I said, we can help with food and,
1: there and behavior. Is
3: And behavior, of course, and um, it's it's only until the cat gets adopted. So it's not it's not that lifetime commitment that a cat adopting a cat really is. So that can be a really good opportunity for people to see what they think about it before you know, or see what they think
0: about that individual because maybe that cat is middle aged, and you can't always tell. Well, in your case, well, now they'll be living in a shelter, which is stressful for cats and and dogs and changes the way they interact with people by necessity. They're institutionalized, if you will, no matter how nice your shelter is. Probably if they've seen video of a cat who's in foster through the cat connection, they've gotten a sense of the personality, but you never know for sure because sometimes the environment you offer a cat, the affection, the options, the choices bring out a lot more in the personality than Mm. the cat shows you know on first view and of course I think what you're probably most happy about is failed fosters right you Mm -hmm. hope that people foster and go
3: what somebody else wants to adopt this cat no way (laughs) yes that does happen often actually good I myself am a failed foster oh I wouldn't be Um,
0: surprised
3: (laughs) and um, yes it does it does happen and and it's very understandable Once you have a cat for any length of time, you're, of course you're gonna get attached, you know, and, and find it hard to then not have that cat. So yes, although we are always sad if someone decides to stop fostering, we are, in fact, very happy that that cat has found a forever home.
0: Yes, and it allows that cat, their picture goes up on the various adoption sites that anybody can access, and it'll say this cat is currently in foster, which I think is great for the adopters, too. They don't have to go to what they may think of as a depressing or scary shelter. Everyone goes, oh, I can't go to a shelter, I'll want to take them all home, or, oh, they're you know living in small cages, I feel too sorry and guilty which is legitimate feelings. I mean, I get it. So, if they know they could visit a cat, I don't know during COVID how tricky that is with masks and distancing, but they know the cat's living in a home situation. It's it's more welcoming to many potential adopters than going to a to a what may seem a kind of intimidating shelter situation.
3: Right, that is very true. Although I just have to point out that our cats will not be living in small cages. Nice. We have Rooms we call them pods nice. with two to four cats in them. Nice, and we have several of those. And they're the only cages are for when cats are Sick. receiving medical treatment right. or yeah, when they first very first come in. But um, that's great. Yes, that was very very important to us.
0: Understandably, and so it's more like a cat cafe. People can visit yeah. with a cat, and they might visit with two or three or four all at the same time.
3: Right, it's possible, yeah. and also I would like to point out that we will still have foster homes even after the shelter is oh, open. Oh gosh, yes, definitely. That's a really, really valuable resource for cats that maybe are a little shyer and need socialization. Yep, for baby kittens that can't be in yeah, a shelter. Yeah,
0: the little
3: yes well we will morgan
0: it's great everything you're doing comes together in a beautiful way everyone should absolutely check out whiskers and whiskey it's going to be a really great benefit go go to their website of the cat connection november 14th it'll be up and november 21st in the evening eastern time is when it will be i think everyone will have a great time thank you for being here thanks for your long long devotion to the cats of the boston area thanks morgan Thank you so much, Tracy,
3: for everything you do and for um, having me on the show.
0: Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the guests as much as I did. Kiss your kitties and hug your pooches, and we will talk again next week. Bye for now.